Hello and welcome back to another episode of On Spec. I am your host, Ryan Brath. Remember, we are on the Golf WRX radio network. And if you happen to like the show, remember to subscribe and like and, you know, maybe tell your friends. What a week in golf. Let's get right to it. Um, there's, you know, there's there's only so much oxygen in the room and someone is taking a lot of it up for good reason. And that is Bryson DeChambeau. Uh, congratulations on the win. It was exciting to watch. I know um, Matt Wolf played a, a big part in the beginning of the round and then towards the end it got very close again. But Bryson literally stormed to victory today and all credit to him. You know, um, I wrote a piece earlier this week about his wedge game, and I I do stand by that piece because as far as his clubs go, and again, he played he played the best of all the players on tour this week. You can't take that away from the guy. But again, if you look at stati- uh, statistics and approaching and like strokes gained and all that stuff, uh, and I can, I'm going to go down this little rabbit hole in just a minute. But his driving and his putting set him apart this week. And, again, it was extremely impressive to watch. It was fun to watch. It was exciting to watch. And that's why we tune in to watch the PGA Tours, to watch things that are exciting and entertaining. And not only that, we got to watch a great golf course as well. Uh, I was lucky enough, as well as uh, Johnny Wonder and Brian Knudsen, from the Gear Dive and Two Guys Talking Golf, to play in the media day for the Rocket Mortgage Classic uh, last year at Detroit Golf Club, and, you know, it's a fantastic layout. It's a, it's a, it's just a classic design. Uh, it's on a relatively flat piece of property, but as far as the bunkering and the tree line and the greens and every little tiny feature that surrounds that golf course makes it so interesting and so exciting and so much fun to play. We had a blast when we were there. We, there is a video on the Golf Direct YouTube page where you can check it out. We played it, we talked about some of the key holes during the round of golf, and on 18, you know, just like last week, Dustin Johnson ripped one, like, way down the middle, hit a wedge in, Bryson did the same thing this week as well. If you look at where that hole got super tight at the end of the fairway, he hit it there, and it takes immense confidence to be able to do that, and not only that, but when you think about the, the, the hardest club to hit in your bag is a long and straight driver because a miss one way or the other around the club face can result in a massive disparity in dispersion, especially at very high speeds. And you'll generally see this, you know, we talk about it when we see long drive players is when they miss one, boy, do they freaking miss one. And, you know, Bryson's swinging very close to those kind of numbers, and he's not quite there as far as, uh, like pure swing speed, but that doesn't matter because he's still the longest freaking player on tour right now. And he's also hitting it very straight uh, because if you look at players that have tried, and, and I mean, Jamie Solowski doing a pretty good job of it right now, and it's always that question before, is like, what happens if you could take a long drive player and teach him to play golf? Well, what Bryson has done is basically, what happens if you take a, a golfer and then turn him into a long driver? Well, that's, you know, that's what we're getting right now. Someone who already has a, a relatively complete uh, short game, iron game, putting game, approach game, all that stuff all together on a PGA Tour level. And then you just said, okay, well, now you're going to hit it 40 yards further. Let's see what happens. And it's just, like, beyond impressive. Uh, his finishes over the last number of tournaments has really demonstrated what he's been able to do. And from an equipment perspective, he's changed drivers a couple times to get the loft down because he's hitting up on it, which is a key element of hitting it further, which is reducing spin loft, which will, again, will also relate to something later on in the show. And there's actually a really good video uh, from the guys at TXG. I know I talk about them a lot, but they really get into the the nitty-gritty of club fitting and club building and dynamics and numbers. And they talk about what it means to hit shots at a reduced spin loft to hit it higher and spin it lower to get extra distance. And they, it's on their channel, I think it was a couple weeks ago now, it was, again, it was in reference to Bryson. And I think it's a really interesting video to check out if you're curious about it. But the one thing I want to touch on again, he drove it lights out, putted lights out, but let's talk about 
the wedges because that was a key. There was a piece that I wrote earlier this week, kind of almost before the tournament started. I know it, it kind of it came out on Friday, but I had been muddling around with it for about a week. On if you look at statistics and all those things, Bryson struggles with his wedges. Um, again, we're talking about one of the best players in the world, and we are talking about someone who just won a PGA Tour event. So the term struggles is a little different from, say, your average handicap. But compared to PGA Tour players and and players on the same level, his stats are relatively weak in that area. So let's just think about it that way. When I say struggles, that's really what I mean. And uh, so with that in mind, because he uses one-length golf clubs, what that does is it... It's again. It's not that you can play, and I still think as well. I know it's going to sound like a lot of backtracking here, but I'm also trying to cover all my bases because I still believe that it works. I believe that if you put one length golf clubs in the hands of a of a regular golfer, they are going to play better because it's about consistency of the golf swing, and it also makes things easier to judge across the board from say your longest golf club to your shortest golf club, and then. From a gapping perspective into the longer clubs, you know, most people shouldn't even be playing a a four iron anyways, or some people shouldn't even be playing a five iron. So with that in mind, when you put someone with a regular, generally regular club head speed into something like that, then you can get some pretty good distance gapping, you can get some really good consistency, and at the end of the day, you can help someone, say, break 90 or break 80. But we're not addressing that. We are addressing a PGA Tour level player. And just like when... Bryson maximizes his his potential driver distance by hitting up with um, less loft on the driver. Like basically, it's a like a dynamic loft thing to reduce spin loft. Again, check out the video if you're really curious. It's it's very difficult to explain without visuals. This is a podcast, so it is a uh, a listening medium, a, an audio medium. So obviously, there's no visual con- like uh, part to this component. Sorry. Uh, so with that in mind he can hit up on it and reduce spin, launch it very, very high with a, a low lofted driver and get a ton of distance. Now, when you have a golf club that is longer and you're trying to reduce dynamic loft and say hit down or at least hit where you're, you're reducing the loft of the golf club, but you're hitting it with a relatively shallow angle of attack. Again, these are all like vectors in a 3d space essentially is what this actually like equates down to from a physics level. And, uh, so you have this going on, and when it comes to friction and creating friction and maximizing friction, you're looking for a launch or a loft at impact of, say, let's say 47 to 50. Again, it's, it's a wider margin, but it's there, right? And when you have that and you're trying to create those type of dynamics with a wedge shot, uh, if you're hitting with a 60-degree wedge, that means to get to, say, 48, you have to take off 12 degrees of dynamic loft, which means your hands have to be so far ahead at impact. Now, if you think about that in a 3D space and what's going on, and you're trying to create that 12-degree angle from uh, perpendicular to the ground relative to your stance and where you're hitting that shot, boy, I really hope this translates when you're listening to this. <laughs> uh, when you get to a shorter golf club, it's easier because your hands can be more forward, but they're still in front of your body, and they're, they're within a relative range of, like, say, standardized motion. Now, when you try and do that with a club that's the length of a six iron, now your hands have to be from that same line that you've drawn perpendicular from where the golf ball is, your hands have to be further forward. And that can be a lot more difficult to achieve with a longer golf club. And not only that, but you have to factor in that for a lot of players that play one length clubs, and actually Cobra's done a really good job addressing this with their sets. They've realized that there was... Some inconsistencies because people, and it's not about the golf clubs. This is actually about the golfer. Uh, there are testing shows uh, that as golfers get into those shorter golf clubs with more loft, they're naturally going to swing them slightly slower because they're generally trying to finesse more shots. It actually comes down more to a mental component than an actual physical component. The physical ability to swing that golf club at that length relative to, say, a 4-iron to a 9-iron is the exact same. But there's some type of mental approach which, which fluctuates uh, swing speed by a couple miles per hour from the highest to the top. Of, like, sorry, from the highest end to the lowest end of the bag. And 
So factoring that in, you also have the line goals, and because of that, they've made some of the, the shorter irons a little bit flatter, which is something I always recommend. There's a there's a really old video that I did that's on YouTube, and I actually it's probably a really good time now to probably redo it and kind of go through the process again of explaining it, is that when you have wedges, because you're not swinging them as fast, you're not getting the same uh, bow in the shaft that you would get with a, a longer club that's being swung faster because of its desire to align to the center of gravity of the golf club. And not only that, uh, that's, a, that's a more of a detailed kind of aspect of it, but when you're hitting those shots around the greens a lot of times too, and you'll notice this when you're out playing, if you're hitting a bunker shot or you're hitting certain shots out of the rough, you start opening the face, you also put your hands lower at address. So now, because your, your hands are lower at impact, you actually need something that's going to be a little bit flatter, and when you add in the fact that you have something that you're not swinging quite as fast, the shaft's not gonna bow dynamically as much towards impact, which means you're not going to get uh, toe droop. So you're, you're going to see a shot that it will, if you don't have your golf club adjusted properly, is going to start, for a right-handed golfer, start left, and go more left versus if you had it flatter, it's going to go towards the target line and stay there. Now, if you have someone who's playing one length golf clubs and they're trying to hit that shot, now there's even more manipulation with the golf club and the hands to try and hit that shot because of where the hands, where the ball is orientated or where it could be around the green, right? And that becomes more difficult because of getting those lie angles. And a player's swing is going to factor a huge amount into that. But when you start looking at the shots that you'll hit with uh, around the greens with those shorter golf clubs, that's where you need the variability to be able to uh, get lower on the on the shaft or get your hands lower just at address to kind of get the get the face in position or uh, get your alignment set. All those different things, and that's why when I talked about in the piece that I wrote for GolfDirectX.com this week, and I mentioned on Twitter and I posted on Instagram. That's RDS Brath on Twitter and Instagram as well as remember follow the show on Spec WRX on Instagram too. That was the first plug of the social channels. Uh, you what you'll notice is like when I'm talking about this is the fact that when you try and hit those shots, it's just way more difficult. So once you get the line goes upright again, the the when you again part of it too is at a uh, club that has more loft on it, the line angle is going to affect the starting line more too. That's why a driver line angle doesn't matter quite as much, it still matters, than a, say an 8-iron, 9-iron pitching wedge because the more loft is going to uh, help, which is actually, when I say help, I mean not help, in the start direction. So if it's too flat or too upright, you're going to miss left or right. And that's where the one length versus a standard traditional golf club that is fit properly. Now, if you need a golf club that's two inches over, which is not very common, but if you do, then great. That's that's perfect. That's going to work for you. But if you're also working with a golf club that is of standard length and it is, or even whatever it happens to be that fits you properly and they progress naturally into that shorter golf club, then you're going to be able to not have to manipulate so much and it's going to give you the opportunity to score better. And that was the whole point of what I was trying to get to. And I stand by what I wrote because from a fitting perspective and another thing too, if you're curious about the dynamics of a 50 to 60, 70 yard wedge shot, uh, one of the best speakers, and I, I love this like personally because I am, I'm a very visual learner. I think I've mentioned that before and from a, from a teaching and from a fitting perspective, and I'm not a teacher, remember, I'm, I'm not uh, a swing coach or any of those things. I have experience on launch monitors, I experience with fitting, all kinds of golfers, and a lot of building golf clubs. And just playing golf and tinkering myself uh, from like my point of view as someone who fits into relatively standard off-the-rack golf clubs. And from that, you have something where when you get into the shorter golf clubs, the head is also heavier. So that helps too when you're, you're trying to hit those finesse shots. Something that's a little heavier can sometimes help with getting through the rough. And it's all about creating those proper dynamics. And like I said, if you're curious about this, which I, I didn't actually get to in this just a moment ago, Andrew Rice, because I am a visual learner and I like to watch things and I like to be able to repeat things that I don't understand. And that's why YouTube is so great or videos just in general are able, are really good to kind of go back and say, I miss what he said or 
Uh, I'm trying to understand what he or she teacher said when they're explaining things. And Andrew Rice does this really good job, and he, he has a thing called the Wedge Project, which you can check out online as well, where he talks about creating friction and being able to maximize consistency on certain shots based on statistics. And just like you can optimize hitting a drive by hitting up and reducing spin and creating launch, and everyone knows about driver optimization. It's something that we've talked about a lot. Most people are familiar with that, right? And even if you hit down, hit neutral, hit up on it, Ping also has a fantastic chart which they released, uh, which you can find on their website. Oh, it's so brilliant. I'm going to tweet it out uh, t today. When you check this out, you'll see it on the channel. Uh, Twitter, probably throw it up on Instagram as well. Is that, you know, based on someone's dynamics, you're going to maximize a driver. And Bryson versus, say, Cameron Champ are very different. But, you know, based on their speed and their dynamics, they're able to hit it a very, very long way. But they do it very differently. And so when it comes to wedges, though, this is where that, that physics really kicks in because there are coefficients of friction involved as far as the dynamic loft. And you'll notice, or if you've ever hit shots, or you'll see pros where they'll hit shots that go really low, but they grab quickly, and they, they have that specific yardage in mind. That's where like the, the physics and technique really take control from a TrackMan launch monitor perspective because they're driving golf balls in with a lot of spin and they know the distance they're going to carry. When you have a ball that's launching higher, with higher initial launch, the spin can vary a lot more because of the friction that is created once after you get past, uh, say, roughly 50 degrees of loft at impact, because now you're, you're going to be focusing more on trajectory. And especially when you get to lower speeds and the ball's not compressing as much, then trajectory is going to play a, a gr much greater role in stopping the golf ball, which I've talked about as well with angle of descent with irons and other like clubs in the bag with being able to control consistency. But once you get to wedges, it's almost the opposite of a driver where with a driver you launch it very high with very little spin for consistency. And then when you get to a wedge, you actually want to launch it lower with much more spin to create that consistency as well. And that was the whole idea of what I was talking about. So check it out. If you're curious about the dynamics of hitting that 50 to say 70 yard wedge shot, it's really a focus on like a 50 yard pitch. Uh, give Andrew Rice a follow, check him out. I know there's like a bunch of stuff on, on YouTube and his Instagram and you can go through it. There's just so much information. I love listening to him as a teacher because there are times when I really struggle with other parts of my game and there's a lot of great teachers out there. Uh, Andrew does not need my endorsement. He's a he's a fantastic teacher and he has a lot of students and he has a great following. But as far as for myself and the way he explains things and how he does it and having a science-based approach, which is why I believe he is also a ping staffer as well because they talk about wedges so much and hydrophobic and grooves and all these other like mumbo-jumbo-y things, which are real science stuff. Um, I don't mean mumbo-jumbo like it's fake. I just mean like there's a lot going on there. Uh, I think that's why he's, he's such a great ambassador because he he's a great communicator. And I've said that about fitters and I've said that about club builders and I've said that about teachers. The great ones aren't just great because of their knowledge. They're great because of their ability to communicate. Because if you go into a fitting and you have questions or someone's explaining something to you and you don't quite understand it, then the really good ones are going to be able to say, well, what do you mean? And then you can ask your question again, and then they'll explain it in a totally different way, and you'll say, okay, I get it. Or if not, then you know, maybe you ask another way, and they'll be able to explain it that way. And that, to me, is, is such an important component of working with someone who is knowledgeable to help you fine-tune your gear. So from you know the first segment of the show, if there's one thing to take away, make sure you get your lie angles checked on your wedges. Make sure, hopefully, in your two shortest wedges, have it be a sand wedge or a lob wedge, or the shots that you don't take full swings with, have those lie angles checked and have them, you know, maybe one to two degrees flatter than your pitching wedge because as soon as you get past those full swing golf clubs is when you start to get into those much slower swing speed shots, especially around the green where, again, trajectory and start line are so important. And, you know, getting those clubs checked making sure that you're hitting your lines properly when you go to hit chip shots or go to hit bunker shots or even little pitch shots. That to me is so critical. And that's why even like this week from a club building perspective, I know people always ask about my projects. I, I think I posted this one as well, was I did some uh, wedge grinding 
on uh, I have some Mizuno T20 raw wedges. So raw wedges are fun to grind. They're easy to grind because you're not going to ruin any of the finishes on them. And when I ordered the wedges this year, I'd always, I always started with something that was very low bounce like years ago. And I've slowly worked my way up to higher bounce because I realized like a lot of people and as, a, as someone who fits golf clubs and the conditions that I play in and all this other stuff that high bounce is actually your friend. Or a bounce that fits you properly is your friend, not just, oh, I need low bounce because I'm a better player. That's not true at all. Actually, the higher speed you are, the more bounce you are generally going to need because of uh, your dynamics into the ball and all kinds of other stuff. But we're not going to go too far down that. So what I did was, started with these wedges. They had a nice, pretty aggressive sole grind on them. But I realized that the shots that I like to hit with these wedges... I need something that offers just a little bit more uh, versatility when opening up the club face, which is harder to do with a, a wedge that has a lot of bounce. And to like go off tangentially really quick, when the K grind first came out from Vokey, it's it's a great wedge grind. But the problem was a lot of people were buying it because it was popular and not because it fit them. And there was a summer where I can probably count on more than two hands how many K grinds I ground the heel off of and reduce the bounce in that heel portion of the golf club to help increase versatility because, you know, someone's game wasn't actually meant for that wedge, but because of popularity, because they heard of it, they saw it on the shelf, they just bought one. And then that's where the after the fact grinding comes into play. I intentionally did something that I thought would fit me quite well, knowing I would need to tweak it now that I played quite a bit of golf. I know that I needed to tweak it and that's where it's so important. So, uh, Check the angle of your wedges. As always, make sure you check the uh, the bounce of your wedges and, and talk to someone who's going to help you out, right? Not everyone's going to have the opportunity to, like I do when, you know, something wedge doesn't work, I can just take it to my grinding wheel and say, okay, well, I'm going to fix it now and make it just for me. Not that it was broken before, but I'm going to make it better for me, just like getting a, a tailored suit or a tailored pair of pants or a tailored shirt. It's all about making sure that it fits your game perfectly, and that's what I did. And it's the same with any other player, referencing to Bryson or any other golfer, just across the board, when you're getting your gear, dial it in, and from a statistic level, look at your weaknesses and strengths and really focus on what's going to help your game. As I said, I think last week as well, I recently got a launch monitor and I'm starting to dig into the weeds as far as gapping and where I need to be and where my weaknesses are in my golf game. And there's things called the combine. Most people are familiar with the TrackMan combine, where it tests your ability to hit certain yardages within like the distance as well as dispersion all the way to driver. And then you start back again and you go through your golf bag. And to me, I think that's a really great tool. And I also know that when you know from a knowledge perspective, knowing your gapping is really important too, from your wedges to your driver and all those different things. And for me, I can already see very quickly, thanks to data, which is something that I, I was, I want to say somewhat, I wasn't opposed to it, but from like a, a personal perspective, I was like, I'm probably never going to actually utilize it that much. But now that I have it and I have access to tools that allow me to understand things better, like shot tracking apps and, and uh, gadgets, gadgets is a wrong word because it makes it sound like it's just like, a, you know, it's not actually that functional, but you have these functional tools like shot tracking and something like a launch monitor where you can go in and really hone your golf game and that's what I'm working on right now and I think uh, it's going to help me hopefully improve continuing like building and building and building that's always the goal uh, but it comes down to when you look at someone like Bryson and what I talked about and what this whole thing was about was making sure that you you get set up with the gear that works for you and if you find a weakness or you're noticing a weakness maybe you got to change something and that's where I still stand behind what I wrote like I said and uh I think it's going to be curious to watch. It's like everyone's kind of joking. He's found the cheat code to golf here by just hitting it real far. And, you know, average approach shots are still great approach shots when you, you hit hit it so far anyways because you're you're capitalizing on all of these opportunities. And, you know, did he find the cheat code to golf? Maybe he has. It's not, you know, it's not generally, it's not the golf that I play. It's not the golf that I, I see most people play. But from you know, the PGA Tour level and the highest level of golf as far as world ranking and all this stuff. Boy, it's going to be interesting. And I can't wait for the majors to roll around very, very soon. Now, before we get to the second part of the show, I want to mention one of the fun, one of the sponsors, one of the partners that we have at golfwrx.com, as well as the podcast, 
is golfavenue.ca. They are a used club specializing website. They also sell a lot of new gear too. And they also take your trades. So if you have clubs sitting around, you're not, and especially right now, right, there's not a lot of places that are taking trade-ins. If you want to get some value for your golf clubs, you want to look at something new, maybe if you want to look for something old, maybe you're buying something for a friend, a child, a spouse, whoever it happens to be, you're trying to help someone out with new gear, trying to help yourself out with new gear, looking for stuff, always treasure hunting. That's my specialty. I love treasure hunting for old gear. And, you know, a lot of the stores near me haven't, quite opened up or aren't uh like fully open yet as far as being able to just go in and browse and you know i miss that usually by this time of the year even though i've got my bag set i've gone i've looked at stuff i probably bought things i didn't need i built clubs that i probably am only going to hit on a range or take out to experiment with but that's part of the fun and that to me is what i love about golf avenue you can trade stuff in you can um, you can buy stuff online as well. They always have really fast shipping and a lot of it's free shipping as well if you spend over a certain amount. And they have pictures of all the golf clubs that you're looking at. Uh, that's always a big thing for me. I get super annoyed if I'm buying online and I'm trying to find something that's going to work. And they have like one picture of one golf club and you're like, oh, no, this sucks. But you don't get that with Golf Avenue. You get the picture, you get a description, and you get all that information. And remember, as a Golf WRX podcast listener, as well as someone who visits the site, golfwrx.com, slash golf avenue you get additional value on your trade-ins as well as you get additional value when you're buying clubs from them so it's something to keep in mind uh, i was a fan of theirs before they became a sponsor i think it's one of those cool things that uh i'm i'm always excited to talk about talk about it because again i was a user before i'm still a user now i'll be a user continuing on and i love to share this information with golfers and remember if you listen to the show you get more in your trade-ins you get more when you're buying your used gear and that's at golfavenue.ca and remember to get the extra value it's golfwrx.com slash golf avenue okay now to the second part of the show now this kind of relates to you know talking about used gear and all these other things but i love kind of making lists of things that I think are great. I've talked about Titleist irons, Hogan irons, Ping irons, Mizuno blades, all like just all kinds of stuff. But this topic is not brand specific. And again, I wrote about this on golfwrx.com, but I want to get more into the nitty gritty because that's what this is about. This is about finding things that are going to work for golfers. And this is about combo sets. You have to remember that the idea of a combo set is relatively new because the idea of optimization is still relatively new. I can remember uh, even when like the i10 came out from Ping, there were some golfers you'd say, okay, let's try and like split your set here. And you know, that was uh, a way to build a combo set for golfers from a fitting perspective, which is what we see now. But there was also a time when companies were you know, they saw that this was happening within their own lines of golf clubs and then they went out and they realized, okay, well, why don't we just design combo sets for the golfer instead of, you know, selling them like one club, like so many clubs from set A and so many clubs from set B to like compromise their own. Why don't we design a set that's specifically designed for that type of player? And a lot of the ones that are on the list that I, I wrote and talked about, I played in the past because you know, who doesn't want to hit their long irons higher and control their short irons better? It's one of those things where I know I've talked about blades a lot. It's a, it's a common topic on the show. Being able to hit a nine iron or an eight iron in a, in a smaller forgiving golf club, not necessarily a blade, uh, is not, I want to say, overly difficult for most golfers. But as you get into the mid irons and the short irons is where you're going to start to notice, say, ball speed losses on mishits, launch losses on mishits, and you start to see dispersion really get bigger. And I just love the idea of having something that is more forgiving in those longer golf clubs. And in in my own personal golf bag, what I've seen is this transition from, and again, I do have sets of blades. Let's not even like debate that. But what I've noticed a lot of times is it's, I'll like kind of make a mix set. And then kind of throughout the year, it's like, well, no, I could just make the eight iron more forgiving. You know, I can just make the nine iron more forgiving. 
And then it's like, well, I could just make the pitching wedge rack match the rest of the set. And then I, you know, then I just end up with this more forgiving set of golf clubs. But, you know, again, that wasn't always the case. And so my list of best included for combo sets, the Nike Pro Combo. I own a set of them. I own the, like the version two Pro Combo ones. Gosh, they're so freaking good. They look so good. They have the blades in them. Uh, actually, no, sorry. This, the version two didn't have the blades. The version one had the blades. And, uh, you know, the, the original Nike uh, Pro Combos, I'm talking about the VR, the original Pro Combos, then they re- uh, came back with the Pro Combo, then the Pro Combo OS. Amazing golf clubs. If you're looking for a Forge Combo set and you're looking for a smoking deal, uh, you can find them out there for, like, a really good price. And as we as I've talked many times before, Nike doesn't get enough credit for it, and they get crapped on all the time for their woods, somewhat deservingly so. Um, not that everything was bad. But it was kind of like, really good one, not so good one. Really good one, not so good one. What the heck is that square thing? Okay, let's get back to, okay, let's go back to normal. Okay, this one's really good again. So you know what I'm talking about, right? You kind of see this progression. But as far as irons go, they've always made really classically good stuff. The Pro Combo's a perfect example of that. And uh, that was one that definitely made my list, especially the one with the blades. I don't actually specifically own those ones personally. I did at one point. But, oh, man, they look so freaking good. Because everyone loves a Nike blade. It's the straight, classic straight back blade. Uh, but, you know, trying to hit that in a three iron, not so advantageous. So giving you the opportunity to go through your set and find something that works, which is the whole idea of a combo set, is why they're so, so good. Now, the other one is the uh, Titleist 735CMs. Titleist first combo set. And, you know, some of this is from the, the article that I wrote. But the, the first combo set they were made were the left-handed Phil Mickelson ones. The PM7 something, I think it is. I don't know. But, you know, the PM lefty ones. So they made those, and they realized, well, why don't we make something for left or righties be, as well, and righties and lefties. So they came with the 735. Um, and I just think, like, again, really classic-looking titles. Not as forgiving in the longer irons. It's still a pretty small golf club. But uh, fantastic-looking nonetheless. Uh, man. I love these golf clubs so much. Um, I owned the J33CBs. I own the J33Bs, which are the blades, which still to this day, I will I will be more than happy to put them on my top five list of, of all-time blades because they had this wickedly long hosel, relatively short blade length, uh, just like everything that a classic blade you could ever want. Um and again, I owned a set. I think I had them for quite a bit of time. I even had like, I think I had a matching wedge and a fairywood at one point. I still have the J33 driver, which is still, like still for the size and the age and the vintage of it. It's a freaking bomber. I haven't gotten on a launch monitor yet, but I really want to because I'm really curious about ball speed on that thing when you hit it off the center. Uh, but I digress. The J33 combo set is by far one of the most underrated sets of irons ever made there i said it because they offered multi-material in the longer irons to create extra forgiveness but into the shorter irons they were an absolute pure blade with that longer hosel you saw the hosel length transition you see the blade length multi-material the progressive cavity depth everything is there and they felt amazing and the other cool thing about it too is, and even to this point now, like Bridgestone doesn't do a lot of stuff. They, they have drivers and fairywoods and irons, but it's not a huge part of their portfolio. Obviously, their focus is on, really truly on the golf ball. And when you have this company that produces such great product, the problem was distribution around the mid and early 2000s, which was being dominated more so than, than it is now by like bigger brands, um, like your Callaways and your TaylorMades, is that Bridgestone had such a hard time getting into big box retail just because of their distribution model. And the golf balls were always there. But as far as golf clubs go, you know, people still, I still hear from friends who work with, don't they just do tires? You know, like they do a lot of stuff. And especially, you know, mid 2000s, people still looked at it like that seems kind of odd, but you know, they're one of the largest rubber um, companies in the world, which means they got a lot of engineers going on behind the scenes that do a lot more than just tires. Um, like I said, golf balls is a big component of that. And from this design perspective, they were just, there was something about them. They were so good. Uh, but because of their distribution model, they didn't sell a lot. 
couldn't find them in big box retail, which also, again, dominated the early 2000s before 2008. And the like, kind of recession hit. I don't, I say kind of recession, but like, it was the recession hit, not kind of. I, I hate when I, I interject that word into something because it's not, it's either it is or it isn't. It's not kind of. And okay, that was a pet peeve of mine. And I just, again, digress from my conversation. But before the re- um, recession, big box retail really dominated uh, golf sales, even before online kind of started to take off more and more. And because of this, they couldn't get into big box. So if you were looking for Bridgestone golf clubs, you still had to buy them either from like a specialty retailer online, kind of sight unseen, or you're buying them used. And I would buy like clubs that were like less than a year old, especially the Bridgestone stuff online, because that was the only place I could get it. And I was so uh, enamored with wanting it that I could a get it for a great deal because it was like less sought after. And the clubs were super high quality. And because I'm a club builder and I had all the tools to like tweak anything, I could adjust lie and loft and all that stuff too. And that's where I got the B's and the and the CB's and some other stuff. But those combos, oh, they're so good. And they're hard to find used now. That's kind of the whole point I was getting to was the fact that the used stuff so hard to find because their distribution was so limited that they didn't actually sell a huge amount of those sets. So if you find a set in good shape, good luck to you. But if you do... Hold on to them because the people who had them already and basically beat them into the submission and they're not really usable anymore, they're super rusted or whatever, uh, the grooves are gone on those things, they knew what they had. But they they didn't trade them in. They just continued to use them until they wore them out and got a new set of golf clubs. So that's another one that I love. Uh, and I think if you do happen to see them, by all means, get a hold of them, try them out. You will not be disappointed. Now, there's two more that I have on my list, and then I have a couple more that I want to talk about that didn't quite make the list, but are definitely my highlights from those uh, those series of, like, combo sets from that era of, of uh, design, from, like, say, really almost around 2000 to, say, 2012, 2015 almost. Um, so the first one is the TaylorMade Rack Coin Forge combo set, often confused with the Mira set, which was the full CB set, which I wrote about on my greatest tailor-made irons of all time list, which you can find on golfdirects.com. That was another plug. Um, so the Coin Forge set came after the Mira set because, from my understanding, I don't have confirmation on this. It is this is definitely just a theory. They wanted to produce more of the the full cavity set realizing that it wasn't really possible. They kind of took a lot of the long iron dies, used the rack C or rack MB, the original rack MB, short irons, put them together, create a separate rack pitching wedge, which matched perfectly with the rack wedges, which were also actually really good, super underrated wedges, and put together this combo set. They were really small, actually. Like the, the Mira set was longer heel toe. The coin forge set was actually a lot more snug from heel to toe. And they still, although they weren't mirror forged, they're still very sought after. Not, again, super forgiving because of the design of them, but all in all, a, an absolutely fantastic set of irons. And again, people who had them held on to them for a long period of time. I can remember, uh, it would have been like high school golf, so this is going to date me, but it was a long time ago. And like there was a couple players that had them from like other teams and you're like okay I don't want to play that guy in match play because I'm probably going to get my ass kicked because you just knew that the people that had those kind of golf clubs were generally good players or uh they had enough money to buy really good golf clubs at the time when you're in high school uh, but they were they were good players they knew what they had they got fit for the, those things and uh it was just one of those sets where they were just they looked good they felt good they performed fantastic and I think they came with a. I think they might have been rifle flighted shafts. I, I had like again, if you got custom fit, that's fine. Like you're probably going to end up with any number of shafts in those irons. But I do believe that the the original set that was in those was either like a rifle flighted, which I think it was. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. But uh, it was either rifle or rifle flighted. And again, part of that great combo was those shafts and how they worked in the set. Now this this was the last set on my list, but I think. In reality, it's probably the most influential set on the entire list. Uh, not from a design perspective, but from an ideology perspective. And that is the Adams Idea Pro set. The Adams Idea Pro were the very first better players iron set that offered hybrids. Pitching wedge to 5-iron, 4-iron, 3-iron hybrid. Better player hybrids, heavy 
graphite shafts, which were not very common. It's part of what made those golf clubs so good. Those original Idea Pros that came with the Aldilla VS Pro 80 shafts in them. And they sat open, and they were just a heavier, stiffer golf shaft in general. They offered that lower ball flight that better players wanted. They had a flatter lie angle. Now, this set, which is what I love about them, came with the option of a four, and they called like a tri-tech or something like that. I could be wrong. Something to do with like something tech iron. So you could get a four iron if you really wanted. But the set featured a gap wedge, sandwich, and lob wedge, which was the Pugeli. I'm probably butchering the name. Puglielli. Who did some Adams wedges, and if you can find prototypes online, you can find tour issue stuff, or you can find some of the original ones that were actually online. They were really well-designed wedges, but he helped design the short irons in that set, and they were good. Like, it's not very often you get a better player. It's like you don't find a, I don't know, a, a Titleist 690 CB gap wedge, sand wedge, lob wedge. They don't exist. They don't make them. They go to Vokies, right? But you got that with that set, and they actually were really nice performing wedges. They also came with the, which this was pre-True Temper purchasing Royal Precision, which got them Project X, and that was the True Temper Black Gold, which was a frequency-matched stepless shaft, which was designed to compete with the Project X at the time. Another great product, and the whole thing all together just melded into this wonderful, beautiful set of golf clubs. And... I own them. I own the next version after them, which was the Idea Pro Gold, which had like even a smaller iron, a lot of camber on the sole. They were just, I love those irons. That's still, again, I look for those things all the time. You can find like tour shoe ones, like the A-Tours and uh, the A-Tour Black, A-Tour Red. The paint fill like designated the offset in them, I believe. And uh, just all in all, that set set forth a different mindset for golfers to put hybrids in their bags regardless of their skill level. It literally changed the marketplace. And if you, again, people have those hybrids that still use them. You can find the iron sets four to pitch, or sorry, five to pitching wedge relatively easily online if you're looking for used sets because people held the, kept the hybrids, maybe replaced their irons. But it, it, was, a, it was the change of mindset, which, would, which, is, which is what makes them so influential because we see it now where, like, it's very common. You'll walk into a golf store, you golfer listening to this, and you'll see a set on the wall. And even now, like, you'll see sets where I haven't been in a big box store in a while now, but, like, you'll see four to pitching wedge. You won't see a three iron included in a set. Or even you'll see five to gap wedge on the wall. That's like the on-the-wall demo set. If you really want to leave the store with them today, you can walk out with the stock set. Maybe they'll bend them, maybe whatever. But you're going to get custom fit for your golf clubs. And they don't even put those longer irons in there because, A, it's a waste of money to put them on the thing and then you go home and you never use it as, a, as someone who's not going to use a long iron. But now you can say, okay, well, maybe I just want the five to gap wedge. And, oh, let's go look at hybrids now. Maybe I need a four iron. Hybrid's going to fit my set. And, again, if you want to buy off the rack, you're somebody's going to buy off the rack. I don't really encourage it all the time. But, again, if you want to do it, that's your own prerogative. It gives you that opportunity, and you're not going to waste money buying a golf club you're not going to need. And this, although it was the start of that, was part of the progression. Adams had clubs like the A3 and the A4 Tech and all these other things that were like higher handicap design golfers. Uh, Ping had the Karsten set, and I can't remember the date of that, but they had like, they were specific, like big forgiving iron into a hybrid. There was like the G15 combo set you could start to get around that time which uh, would have been a little bit after. Again, these are more designed for the higher handicap player. But now we see them on tour. We see a lot of hybrids. We see some higher lofted fairway woods. And we see players that only go to a five or a four iron because, again, those players are getting fit. So that's like a different thing. But it's being able to change the mindset of the general consumer and to people to walk in and say, you know, I'm a lower handicap, but, yeah, I, I do. I struggle with a four iron. Well, here's a set that, like, has a... a, a a tour level hybrid in it that you can use. And uh, that's why I put it on the list, although it wasn't like all the other sets, a full iron set, I, it had to be included because I just think it was it was just absolutely beyond influential as far as clubs. And Adams was a huge part of a lot of different things. They created slotted faced fairy woods. They had those super hot um, hybrids and fairy woods like the XTDs. Uh, they had the as well. They had the they had the rebounding face iron with the XTD as well, and you had these combo sets. They had the number one hybrid on tour. They did a lot of things, and I I always give Adams a lot of credit, although they're not around anymore. 
because you can see parts of designs in other golf clubs that are still being released now. And that is the true test of someone's longevity is not just does it does it work in the in the present time, but does the does the technology and does the idea behind the technology, like the base level of the design, based on the available technology produced golf clubs at the period of production, does it equate to you know longevity down the road? And I think we've definitely seen that. Now some of the other sets that uh, I really love but didn't make the list this time were the Cobra S3s, and funny enough the Cobra Amp combo set as well, which I know. Ricky was testing a set this week for Iron Shafts, which I think Johnny Wonder wrote about on our site too, uh, golfdirects.com. And uh, so, yeah, we got the Cobras. I always remember the S3s because, like, Poulter played them. And, God, those blades look so good. I remember because Cobra was always, like, the high handicap, you know, old guy, offset driver, high lofted, super light stuff for a really long period of time. Then they got a tour staff. And if you remember their original tour staff, they had... Uh, Jeff Ogilvie, J.B. Holmes, Camilo Vajagas, Ian Poulter. Um, that was their PGA Tour staff. And, like, there's probably one more in there. But anyways, like, you know, those are big names. Everyone knows those those golfers' names. They did a really good job recruiting that. And when they had those, like, the, the blades were out on tour, it was like, are they going to release the blades to, like, the public? This is going to be fantastic. And then they did it. And you're like, man, they look sick. And not just that, but like at the time, Cobra was also under Titleist. So, you know, they were also at one point considered like, oh, like the little brother of Titleist. Like, yeah, Titleist gets the cool stuff. And then Cobra has like the high handicap thing and all this other stuff. But uh, they really did a good job segmenting those lines apart. And like the BioCell and like the newer stuff, even then after they had separated. But that combo set really stood out for me because it just looked really clean. There wasn't a lot of technology involved in it. It was just a pretty classic looking combo set. But still, like, you can find those. And they go for a pretty penny still because they didn't, again, they didn't do a lot of them. And, you know, when you find cool stuff, they tend to hold their value. Another one, too, and this is because of the, a player that played them, which is, sound, like, this is going to sound, like, really silly. But I can always remember this event. And it was, like, a summer that I just watched almost, like, every PGA Tour event. I, I at one point in time, could point out, like, every winner, every event, every week. And I think... Just because as a golf fan, that's what I did. I would hunker down on my couch when I was a teenager and I'd just watch golf on Sundays. I'd go play with my buddies in the morning. We'd go back and watch golf in the afternoon. And the combo set was the Hogan FTXs, which was a very much a, a, a individually designed club all the way through the set, a very flowing center of gravity. And the person I remember playing them was Carlos Franco. Yeah, that guy. Uh, take it. I'll, I'll pause for a second so you can Google who that actually is. All right, done now. Hopefully you weren't driving when you Googled that. But anyways, so Carlos Franco won an event with those irons. I think it was the U.S. Bank Championship. That could be totally wrong. I if, if I'm totally wrong, that's totally fine. I didn't do a lot of research for like this part of Carlos Franco's career talking about the Hogan FTXs. But he played the FTXs. He won this event by a number of shots. And I just remember like... There was something about the, I don't know if it was the microphone or just like, he was a really good ball striker. And he was not known for like completely not practicing at all. But he, like, it just sounded so good. Like he was, he was like just knocking down flag sticks during this event. And I was just like enamored with these golf clubs and trying to figure out what they were and what his irons were. Cause that's what I did. It's kind of what I still do now. Uh, lucky for me. Um, and yeah, it was just like, if you see that set now and you like remember the, the 99 Apex and it was around that time where like, they started doing the the CFT hybrid was a little bit after that, I believe. They had like a number of, they had the Hogan Edge, which was like the cavity back. But the FTX is, again, harder set to find because there were other sets in the line that really took advantage. And a lot of people were, you know, scared of combo sets because of those shorter irons being less forgiving. They just wanted some of the other stuff, but they still, I mean, they still sold through fairly well. But that was the one that I wanted to mention because of that specific player. And I always thought it was so funny to me that, like, I associate that set with a player who, like, maybe he won a couple times on tour. Um, not a, definitely not a household name as far as golf is concerned, but he stands out uh, as someone who used that set to me, and that's how I often remember players. I've, I've talked to people. I've run into golfers at random golf courses, um, like, around, like, where I live and anything, and I'll get paired up with somebody, or I'll see someone on a driving range, and I'll go, Oh, I, I, I built those, that set like three years ago and they'll go, what? I'm like, yeah, yeah. Like you got fit 
here and I, I built your valve clip for you. And they're like, oh, you build them? I said, yeah, yeah. I said, uh, you still a couple degrees flat on the line angle? And they're like, whoa, you like golf club spec Rain Man? And I'm like, nah, not really, but like, it's just what I, cause like I spend hours building each set of golf clubs. I just kind of remember odd specs or like funky grips or funky combos as far, like, you know, here's a cool head. Maybe you got like a weird three iron or like a funky wedge setup and like a cool shaft with some ferrules and, you know, wraps a tape under a grip that's and you like you just remember those things it's just it's one of those like it's part of what i do it's just ingrained in my psyche and again because if you spend hours doing something um for any set of golf clubs you can you just sometimes i don't remember all of it but i definitely remember the, the kind of interesting stuff and yeah like it just it was one of those funny things and for me the ftx is just like line up right with carlos franco winning that event and I think he won by quite a few shots too. Like he was, it was ball striking was just so fantastic that weekend. It just stuck. So anyways, that's the show. Talking combo sets, talking Bryson, talking wedge dynamics, and uh, trying to help you understand and enjoy golf equipment just a little bit more. Um, again, full congratulations to Bryson. Um, I will completely stay out of the whole cameraman situation. It took me 50 minutes to get to that point of the conversation, but I'm just going to stay out of it. Um, I have an opinion, but I'm just going to leave it at that. Uh, but he won, and congratulations. And I think we have to give him credit where credit is due. He put in time. He worked his freaking tail off to get as, like, get as strong and as fast and to achieve what he has done. And... You know, as, as people have talked about, he's, has he solved the cheat code of golf? Maybe a little bit. Let's be real honest here. Look at his last number of stats. It's really impressive. Uh, are there still weaknesses in his game? Yes, but a lot of strengths can overcome uh, much smaller weaknesses, and I think he's proven that. So let's leave it at that. Let's think about, you know, what our strengths in our game are, what our weaknesses in our game are, and uh, enjoy the fact that Bryson is hitting at 350 yards and making golf very entertaining. So I hope you enjoyed the show this week. Remember, you can follow along uh, at my own, like my personal channels at rdsbrath on Twitter and Instagram, as well as you can follow along the show at onspecwrx.com. Or sorry, I did that last time too. I apologize. Onspecwrx.com on Instagram, and as always, thanks for listening.